0: All right, well, I'm gonna call to order the Climate Action Commission meeting of uh, June 6, 2022. And we'll start, we're at quorum, so we're good. And we'll start a roll call. Um, Michael Einen
1: Lynch. <laughs>
0: Here. <laughs> so, did a great job with that while being recorded. So. Um, John Fraser. Present. Uh, Stratus Curris has an excused absence. Ben Grimm.
2: Here.
0: Uh, Claire DeGara. Here. Uh, Casey Hutchinson. Casey may be out today. Matt Krieger. Here. Jesse Leckband. Jesse, I, I, can you hear us? Yeah. Okay, and, and you're present. And uh, okay, uh, I'm here, Becky Soglin and Gabe Sturdevant Here. So, and would staff members like to identify themselves?
1: Sarah Gardner, present. Daniel Bissell,
3: present. Megan Hill,
4: present.
0: Okay. Uh, thank you. And um, we next have approval of our minutes from our meeting on May 2nd, 2022. Um, were there any corrections or changes needed?
3: I had one, I wasn't present. I think it had me marked as present.
5: (laughs) I wasn't present either. (laughs) All right.
0: So we'll note um, Matt Krieger and Clarity Gear were not present at the May meeting. And thank you for your honesty. We felt you were present. But your
3: presence was felt. (laughs) Oh, I'm not so happy.
0: (laughs) Um, Any other changes or corrections? Um, If not, is there a motion to approve the minutes of May second, 2022?
3: I'll move to approve them. Second.
0: So uh, moved by Krieger and second by Grimm. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? None opposed. And no one abstaining. Um, So our next item is public comment of items not on the agenda. So any members of the public who would like to speak regarding items not on the agenda are welcome to address us for up to three minutes or up to five minutes if uh, interpretation or other assistance is needed. Uh, Due to the public meeting laws, we commissioners can listen only to your issue and cannot engage in discussion or take action on an item that's not already listed on the agenda. So is there anyone from the public who would like to speak to an item not on the agenda? Seeing none, all right. So we will move on to our next agenda items. And just a reminder to commissioners, if you're uh, speaking at length, uh, to make sure you say your name before making your comments to help our note takers. So we have announcements and begin with informational updates.
1: Uh, Sarah, I'll let you take it away. Yeah, and I'll just add to Clarity's note, um, our recording staff asked, because we're in a different space today, when you speak, if you would pull the microphone over to yourself. Um, They said sometimes there's a tendency to assume because it's on the table, it's gonna pick you up, and I'm told it won't, so. (laughs) All right, so the first action item, we actually only had one action item at the last meeting, and that was a question that was raised at the end about what to do with questions um, regarding the 24-7 initiative you all did receive the follow-up email that was promised in that meeting, say, um, outlining the plan, which was that we would go over those questions in today's meeting, but so that um, if anyone had a question and they didn't want to forget it between then and now to pass it along to me. And I have actually written down those questions and we'll be sharing them when we get to the next agenda item. So.
0: And sir can I just pause you? Would it be okay if we closed those doors to the, yes. to the um, more public area? Um, Thank you. Thank you to the door closer.
1: I have clearly the worst uh, microphone in the room. <laughs> <All right. laughs> in terms of staffing updates, um, as you may remember, it was our goal this year to get up to a full staff of three members. We had um, hired Danny, at the beginning of the year as our climate analyst, and I am happy to report we have filled our engagement specialist position. You may notice that Megan Hill is not sitting among you as a commission member. That is because she applied for the job and was given it. So welcome, Megan, onto staff. <laughs> um, during the interview process, I will say we had really high quality candidates. So um, the, actually the hiring committee met three different times to come to a decision. And in the end, one of the things that um, really impressed them about Megan is her four years of AmeriCorps experience. As you know, managing our AmeriCorps team is a big part of this role. Megan also has extensive event planning experience um, that we are already very excitedly exploiting. (laughs) Her help in getting um, the Climate Fest put together. And she's been wonderful in diving in and taking charge of the AmeriCorps team so um, even though this is I think week three on the job is that right Megan she's already been a great asset to the team so we're excited Um, of course that means we now have an open position on the Commission we have filed that open position with the clerk Um, they are uh, soliciting uh, applications at this time and hopefully we'll have another Commission member at the table joining you sooner rather than later but if anybody knows of someone else who might be interested in serving on the commission, it'd be great to give them a heads up and you can always connect them with me for the application. And just as a reminder, um, we uh, at the last meeting said that we would begin our CBO outreach this month. So this is a wonderful opportunity for those of you who are reaching out to organizations, um, whether it's your assigned organization or you're just involved in another one, to look for uh, folks who might also want to be interested, might also want to serve on the commission. So, are there any questions about that or about that process? Nope, great, all right. Then we go to everybody's favorite Excel sheet, the summary of new updates to the Climate Action Work Plan, which was included in your agenda packet. Um, As per our recent meetings, I'm not gonna go through and read every single item. Hopefully the uh, Word document you got that summarizes them gives you a pretty clear picture of what we've got going on. I will say, these last two months, um, we're in sort of an interesting place where you know we get through Earth Month with the energy blitz, and a lot of what we do in April and May is really just keeping the programs running that we've set up in the uh, beginning of the year. So a lot of our status updates, we realized when we were going through, are really just about maintaining the programs. Um, but we did nonetheless have some new things roll forward. Um, in particular, we've had great participation in the revised energy efficiency program. Um, that Danny discussed with you at the previous meeting. Um, And we also had a number of climate action grants. You'll see those included. We decided this year to break them out according to the category that they relate to in the climate action plan, so you can see the kind of spread we're getting in those awards. Um, I thought that might be a good place to start if anybody had any questions about the specific projects awarded a climate action grant. Um, Danny and the members on that committee are present and can help answer questions about it or if you have other questions about items that are on the summary sheet, please do pipe up. I'm happy to answer any questions.
3: Can you remind me when the um, Climate Action Grants were awarded this year?
1: Yes, so the committee met in April and they officially got their award notification at the end of April, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, the funds, as you may recall, this is a reimbursement grant program and it tracks with our fiscal year. So actually where we're at in the grant cycle now is that last year's grant awardees are finishing up their projects this month in June because the city's fiscal year runs from the beginning of July to the end of June. Um, We are receiving reports on those projects at this time to prepare them for reimbursement. And then the ones that were awarded in April will kick off their projects starting in June with the exception of one project, um, we had an application from an apartment complex to replace turf grass with prairie plants. And because it is better to plant those plants in the spring than the summer, we made a special allowance for them to go ahead and get started on that project um, and then get reimbursed for it at the next reimbursement date, which I think is—I think it goes quarterly, doesn't it? Yeah, so we'll get updates on from them all in the fall, hopefully.
0: I'll just note Casey Hutchinson joined us around 3:35 online.
1: All right, hearing no questions, I'll just point out a couple little highlights on it then. Um, One, we have received one application for the downtown TIF-funded energy efficiency program. You may recall that our industrial TIF program was so successful along Highway 6, we expanded it to downtown and the north side neighborhood. Um, We haven't had quite the same uptick in projects down there, and uh, I will say our economic development staff has been looking into why that might be. It seems to be a mix of complicated factors um, that downtown businesses are less likely to own their own buildings and also um, maybe the threshold for participation might be a little high, so they're tracking that progress with an eye toward how we can tweak it in future years. But we do have one grant going out for it and another application that's in the works and expected to go before city council this summer. Um, I'll also note that one of the more exciting climate action grant project, well, they're all exciting, but one of the particularly exciting ones we got came from Habitat for Humanity, which uh, reached out to us to do uh, an electrification project in one of their um, build projects. So all of the appliances are going to be electric. They're gonna be high efficiency, which we're excited about. It's also gonna be a women's build project. So that builds on some of the success of the program we had earlier in the year with our own. We're excited about that. Um, and then I'll call out, I'm excited about this presentation that's coming up um, that's being given by our MPO transportation planners later this month called Easy on the Gas, which is really a presentation highlighting green commute options within um, our region. They're doing this in uh, collaboration with ECCOG, which is based out of Cedar Rapids um, and has a very interesting van pool program that's available to workers anywhere within the corridor network. Um, so their goal with this is to highlight those van pool options and get those vans into the hands of more drivers and workers. Um, in particular, they're targeting workers who are coming from here and driving down to some of the processing plants south of the city. You know, Many of uh, the workers are in um, vehicles that are, aren't in great shape. It's not terribly reliable for them. And we know that they also are high emissions vehicles. The uh, program that's been set up through ECI Cog uh, allows, actually is a partnership with Enterprise. So they get a number of people together for uh, the van pool option. They actually handle the rental of the van um, and the contracting with Enterprise. And then those workers have a new, reliable, more efficient vehicle to get them back and forth to work every day. So it's a great program that we're really excited to be highlighting. Um, and then you'll also see it I just feel like it's a time of year for education events, really. We also have our resource management staff launching their Love Food Fight Waste program, which is a way um, is meant in partnership with the uh, project we have going with table to table to provide um, a composting device. Um, table to table bless them, did not want to just have a technology solution. They also want to continue with education campaigns. So um, they've been working on this campaign with Jane Wilch, who you all know is our recycling coordinator, to just get some more information out about how sell by and best by dates don't mean that the food immediately turns sour when you hit that date. Um, And just helping people make more informed decisions about food waste in their own homes. Um, And then I will note that one of the projects Megan also has been working on for us is arranging um, both our climate ambassador picnic um, which is one of the initiatives we have to try to maintain engagement. But she has also set up two field trips for climate ambassadors. And this does two things. It, um, one is a tool, another tool to help maintain engagement among climate ambassadors. But it also is a stepping stone, we hope, to eventually getting the climate ambassador program to have an in-person option and not just solely be something that is offered virtually virtually. Um, The vision for that program was always that the training sessions would involve field trips and we've made that promise to every cohort that's gone through so far. And we've told them that they would have the opportunity to participate in field trips. We of course did not know at that time that we'd be in the pandemic two years later. Um, So we've now had four cohorts go through who've been given that promise. Um, And so what we've done is just retool a little where instead of launching those field trips for the next trainees, We're going to offer a couple for the existing ambassadors already, and that'll give us an opportunity to test drive the field trip concept a little so that we can roll it into future training sessions. Um, And Megan's just been great about getting that up and going.
2: A comment? Yes, please. Uh, Two quick things. One, I went to the uh, climate ambassador picnic last year. And it was a a pleasant event, but the turnout was very low. And I would highly urge all of us to attend that and be able to uh, chat with the ambassadors. So I hope we have a good turnout this year. The funny thing for me at that picnic is I walked up to Sarah, and said, hi, Sarah. And she said, John, you're taller than I thought you were. (laughs) And I said, what do you mean? And she said, we've never met face to face. And I had no idea that we'd gone a year, a year and a half, or two years or something and never been face-to-face. So the point being, we ought to get face-to-face with our ambassadors. It would be good for their morale. And I think we might even learn something.
4: How tall they are. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> and secondly, I, I was surprised to hear that Habitat for Humanity put a little extra money in with the uh, with uh, economic investment up front, because usually that investment costs more up front and you're counting on the, re- the years of return to justify it. So that's pretty cool that they're willing to spend a little money up front to, to be more efficient. That's somewhat surprising to me.
1: Yeah, we're really excited about that project. I mean, I'll say one of the things that worked against us last year uh, with the Climate Ambassador Picnic is that thunderstorms rolled in for the original date of the picnic. So we had to push it back a week. And we ended up losing a number of people who were going to come, but didn't. Um, this year, one, everybody hope there's no rainstorms. Let's start there. Um, but we're also doing a couple things to try to help raise the profile of it. Um, next week, we're going to launch the Climate Ambassador newsletter that we've been talking about for the last few months as another engagement tool. Um, and it's going to have a feature in it about the picnic so that folks know in advance to set the date for it. Um, we are having it at Happy Hollow Park instead of City Park this year, so it'll be a, like a smaller, hopefully more welcoming space. And we're also, in the newsletter, going to be talking about our climate leader program um, in hopes that that will inspire some ambassadors to come and ask more questions about how to be a climate leader um, to uh, up in attendance there. And also, just we just like our ambassadors, we wanna stay in touch with them. What is the date and time?
0: Mm-hmm. July?
1: thank you diane <laughs> july 20th
0: and, and will you have like an, R, an rsvp form especially for us commissioners so you can do count? yeah or, we're going to okay, ask
4: for it this year great thanks
3: quick question um when is the next cohort scheduled or has that been scheduled
2: yet
1: you know megan and i have been talking about that quite a bit and part of the discussion was whether to have it before the next climate fest or after and just the way um, we're ramping up projects for her we think it makes sense to um, go after climate fest. So our traditional late fall, um, early winter training. It's always a little tricky because you get Thanksgiving in the middle there, but we do like, if we look at when we send out um, all calls for not or applications for we always get the highest number right after climate fest because people are excited Mm -hmm. and wanna keep participating. So we're gonna try capitalizing on that again this year.
4: Sounds good. Can I ask a couple of questions? Please do. Uh, this is Zion and Lynch, and my, first I just have a quick um, note about the van pool. Is this is this a project that could go like there might be other places to partner with, or this is a really specific? I like, guess it already sort of done, or is there are you looking for other? opportunities for this kind of thing
1: well it's a we don't own that particular program so i would have to check with ec cog to see if there are other opportunities Um, one of the updates we didn't put in here because i don't want to jinx us is um, we are in very preliminary discussions with act about a van pool with them. And that would be a program they would own. Um, So there may be some opportunities for other partnerships there. Is there a van provider you have in mind or you would recommend? Well, no, I'm just a need I have in mind. I've heard,
4: I don't know a lot about it, but I've heard from several people about um, getting farmers out to the poor farm is a challenge Mm -hmm. and the need for, uh, or the potential for some kind of shared
6: Mm -hmm. transportation.
4: And that just seemed like it would Fall really nicely in the, yeah. Within our purview, but
1: I don't know. It's probably actually a good, you know, the other thing they're gonna, so we're excited about the van pool option um, that they're gonna be highlighting, but they are gonna be talking about several other resources in the area, including a rideshare platform that's provided by the DOT for our region and also the dial a ride programs. So it may be just a question of getting that information in front of people to realize, you know, they could, we do have, it's, It's not Uber, but you know, we do have an equivalent. You call a number, a a ride is arranged to come pick you up and return you at different times of day. That may also be an option for the poor farm. Great,
4: Um, and my other question is around um, some of the native planting initiatives. I was wondering what the, I know when there's a new property built or what have you, that there's certain stormwater runoff requirements and I'm wondering what the if there is a requirement around that being there being native plantings involved with that or if that's a place where we could um, make some change and get some more like carbon sequestration.
1: Interesting.
4: I um, know right next to our office building is a huge new drainage dish that's ugly and isn't serving much of a purpose other than making sure there's the water is collected. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, I'm not aware at this time of any requirements we have, like actually requiring native plantings. I'd have to check with our neighborhood and development services to see if we offer some incentives for commercial buildings around that. Um, Let me note it down, Michael, and I can get back to you on it rather than give you the wrong information. That's great. other questions
3: did you say when they were hosting that easy on the gas
1: yes they are going to be hosting it June 15th okay all right well, as always, if other questions occur to you after the meeting, do feel free to reach out to me via email and we're happy to uh, get those answers before you. Um, one other note then on the Climate Action Plan updates, it's not actually included in here, but as you know, we formed the working groups, the Solar Prioritization Working Group. I just realized we skipped right past the update from that group, so we'll circle back to it. If you signed up for the Insulation Grant Working Group, That working group is scheduled to form this month. Um, Danny's going to be heading up that initiative, so you can expect to get an email from him identifying a time and date to have your initial meeting and roll that out. Um, And while we're talking about working groups, would a member of the solar prioritization working group like to talk about or give any updates on our recent discussions? I guess
0: I could, (laughs) just that we we have met twice. Um, The group includes uh, Matt, Gabe, myself, and um, Stratus. And uh, and Sarah, obviously, is leading us on that. So this is Becky for the note taker. Um, And as I said, we've met twice. And at our second meeting, we, Sarah had crafted a very helpful memo that summarized some of the priorities from that report that we all got a chance to review a few months ago. And out of those, we pick two. I believe that we feel are the priority of the priorities, and then we will be writing that up, bringing that to the commission to discuss with all of us as a whole. Because the, any endorsement has to come from all of us, and then to the council. And I think rather than try to describe the priorities, we will wait. Um, Since it's, it's not that's not formally listed as an agenda item either, we'll we'll have that so you can read it ahead of time, and then we can discuss. Um, you know, answer any questions you have, explain why those came to the top and hopefully from there then get that memo to council and the objective of having that study will then be carried out, we hope, with some
1: follow-up. I don't know,
0: did I miss anything
1: important? Good summary. (laughs) Cool, thank you for that update. All right, and then the remaining announcement is just the upcoming events. Um, Our Teen Resilience Corps, we hope, is gonna launch on June 13th. We ran into a slight um, a slight recruitment hiccup on that, actually, where uh, United Action for Youth, as you might recall, was charged with recruiting youth to participate. Um, they had several youth who were very interested. Um, however, they also would like to get higher-paying summer jobs. So we, <laughs> if you wanna know that the labor shortage has truly trickled down, there's your evidence. Um, we have got, circled back um, into the budget and upped the stipend in hope that, that it uh, entices a few more participants. Um, and we're looking at, hopefully we'll have enough to launch uh, next week, but if not, we can push the training back just a little. We've got a little cushion built in, so we will definitely keep you updated on that. Um, and then as mentioned before, the Easy on the Gas Lunch and Learn um, is going to be hosted June 15th. There was a press release that went out from the city of Iowa City about that um, that included a registration link, but if any of you did not receive it, just reach out to me and I can make sure that you get that information if you're interested in listening in. And then we um, took a month off on the speaking of presentations for May, but we are back in the saddle in June. Jane Wilch and I are going to be hosting a discussion focused on local foods on June 21st.
0: Any... Questions about the events or? All right, thanks, Sarah. Uh, We'll move on to item six, which is our unfinished business item of the 24-7 initiative. Questions are in our next step. Yeah.
1: All right, so we're just gonna touch on this one a little briefly since we have a couple of members who aren't able to be here with us today and we have a presentation that we're going to be getting to momentarily. Incidentally, hello, Alex, we see you on there. Thank you for joining us. Um, as promised, we did spend this month compiling the questions that we've received. We pulled questions from the minutes that were brought up in the last meeting, questions that we received via email from as commissioners, and then um, questions that staff had raised with the Iowa Environmental Council and our preliminary discussions with them on it. I have this list, I'm going to pass it around to you. you want to take one and pass it on? staff. So our main goal today, um, and I said this in the email and just want to reiterate it, that we are very early in this process and we are not looking to take a position at this time. City Council has not yet asked us to do so. Um, Rather, what we're trying to do is get some information before you so that you have time to take it in and give it some thought, um, such as the presentation we got from the Iowa Environmental Council last month. Um, And we're asking for you to identify questions that could help better inform the decision-making process Um, Staff have been looking into this particular initiative a bit, and we, as you'll see in here, have a number of questions of our own. Um, What we can tell you, what we've learned about this initiative so far, is that this is really an initiative that began with corporate entities, particularly entities in the tech sector, so Google, Microsoft, Facebook, folks who have data centers. Um, And it's only within the last year that cities have begun looking at adopting 24/7 initiatives themselves. Um, As you know, Des Moines did adopt this uh, commitment last year. Um, There are some complexities in our situation that make us a little different from Des Moines. One of them is that Des Moines is served entirely by MidAmerican. We are served by two different utilities, MidAmerican and a rural electric cooperative. Um, So we would have to be negotiating on both fronts on an initiative like this. Um, Des Moines is also in the process or has been uh, just recently renewed its franchise agreement, which is an agreement between the city and the utility that grants them access to the right-of-way. And it's one of the moments where cities have an opportunity to negotiate a little or make some asks to the utility. Our franchise agreement does not go up for renewal until 2027. Um, Staff have signed on to a cohort of cities who are actively exploring the 24-7 initiative and they had their first meeting um, two weeks ago, which we were able to listen in on. Um, In that cohort, most of the other cities are in the exact same place we are at. This is sort of the first time they're taking on the ideas. They haven't made the commitment yet themselves. They're there to try to understand best practices the same way we are. Um, There's one other city in addition to Des Moines that has adopted the initiative, and I think tellingly they also had a franchise agreement up for negotiation this year, so that seems to be connected, we'll say. Um, What we are going to be doing in the next several months, that cohort actually runs for an entire year, and Danny and I are going to be listening in on the cohort and asking questions looking for the kind of uh, technical expertise that we might need in order to move forward on an initiative like this. Um, And what we're asking for you at this time is just any questions we can be carrying with us into that uh, discussion so that we have our eyes out on the kinds of questions you might want answered as you weigh this decision as well. Um, So what I'll say is if anybody has any questions in addition to the ones that are on the sheet, please feel free to pipe up now and we'll write them down or if you'd like to email after the meeting, again, that works well. We'll put the finalized list in the agenda packet for next month's meeting as promised since we'll more than likely have a more thorough discussion then. But if there are any questions I can answer at this time, that'd be great.
0: Sounds good. We're sort of at the questions about questions stage <laughs> versus actually <laughs> True discussing enough.
2: them. So. Um. Uh, John Fraser, I just think you did an excellent job of capturing all these questions because I recognize a lot of them, some of them I don't, but uh, you put a lot of work into this. I th- think you did a great job. Oh. Mm. All
0: right.
1: Um. And then we'll move on to new business. I'll add just oh, one sorry. thing before we do. Okay. I'll just add one of the reasons, I mean, this is one of those um, initiatives that of course sounds really great and I think is very exciting and we've seen a number of cities that are excited about it, but one of the reasons we're exercising some caution with this particular initiative is because of the potential impact on ratepayers in Iowa City. Um, in our initial research looking at material from the Rocky Mountain Institute, uh, what they have identified is the potential at just reaching 80% of the goal could do could double re- the rates that residents are paying. And so that's why I think the city council is asking you to take a look at it and us to take a look at it and really give it some careful thought as we proceed. So there we are. Then we'll Sorry. move
0: on to item seven, which is new business. This is science-based Uh, targets initiative with Alexander Hill of the Climate Disclosure Project.
1: Yes, and Alex is joining us via Zoom from Washington, DC. So thank you so much for uh, joining us, Alex. Um, One of the reasons we had Alex come and speak to you today is uh, that the Climate Disclosure Project, which you may recall we participate in, we submit a report to them every year. They're the one who gave us the A rating last year. Um, approached us earlier this year, uh, actually ahead of even the 24-7 initiative, to talk about science-based targets as an idea for adjusting our emissions reductions target. And here too, this is something we're just bringing forward as a matter of discussion, um, partly as a way of saying that we don't have, it's not a yes or no necessarily, for our, or an either or choice, um, we don't have to ev- adopt either. Um, But we could be pulling good ideas from both when we look toward what kind of resolution we would want in the long term. And then particular, the science-based targets has some interesting ideas about ways equity can be incorporated into emissions targets. So uh, I hope that feels like an adequate introduction. Alex, I'll let you take it from there.
6: Thank you. That was a great introduction. And um, I do just want to clarify about Washington, D.C. CDP is actually based in New York City, but I myself sit in a very rural town in Pennsylvania, outside Pottsville, Pennsylvania, where Yingling's made, if you're familiar. Um, And then our uh, team, you can find us all across the U.S., which is really great because we get different perspectives. And I want to say thank you for having me today. And I had a great introduction. So with that, I'll jump into it. Uh, Today, I believe most of you are familiar with CDP, but if you had any questions, I'm happy to answer them. And then we'll jump into science-based targets and then move into some high impact emissions reduction actions that I've seen other cities um, take on. And then we'll move into questions and discussion. And so uh, to dive into it and to get started, science-based targets for cities are important because cities are at the forefront of the climate emergency. We have found that cities account for over 70% of global emissions, and they're home to 56% of the global population, and that figure continues to grow. Um, Some some data that came out of our 2020 CDP ICLEI track disclosure was that 93% of cities that disclosed through us reported that they're already suffering from climate impacts. So we know just how important this work truly is.
0: Alex, I'm really sorry to interrupt. I think we do have some folks who aren't that familiar with CDP. Oh, sure. If you could give just like two minutes High level on that,
6: so. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, um, CDP is a um, we're a worldwide organization. Our headquarters are actually in London. However, we have regional offices around the world, and so our North America office is the one I mentioned that's in New York City. We started initially with disclosure focused on um, corporations. That was really driven by investor requested disclosure. So you'll hear us mention that a lot, and. What that means is that investors were really seeking insight into the companies that they were investing in about how they were preparing for climate change and what environmental actions they were taking. And so last year, we had over 14,000 different disclosures through CDP, and that included over 13,000 corporations and over um, 1,000 cities. The number actually came in at 1,128 cities around the world disclosed through CDP. There were 233 in North America. America, which we consider the United States and Canada. And so our team in North America, um, our cities team really focuses on providing the support to cities to help them through the disclosure process and then also to provide them with support and resources. And so that's where I come in and I provide technical support to cities um, specifically around science-based targets. And another area of my work that I'm excited to share with you because I think it does does really help cities understand truly what's happening within their jurisdictional boundaries is that this year we're launching in North America a public authorities pilot questionnaire and that is focused on public authorities, um, public benefit corporations. So things like airports, um, seaports, um, housing authorities. Um, and it. what I've seen, for instance, even in like San Diego, they have a hard time getting the um, airport to disclose. So that's a gap for them. And so it's really helping to fill that gap and, really give you a complete idea of what's happening especially around emissions um, in your area so if you have any questions about that feel free to reach out or if you also have a public authority like a water utility or an electric utility that you'd like us to reach out to and ask to disclose we're happy to do that and we can do it anonymously as well but we're just very excited to get that launched this year thank you sure And then um, again, to jump into science-based targets, um, as I mentioned, we know that a lot of cities are really feeling these impacts and it's important to start acting now. And so when we wanna understand truly what a science-based target for cities is, it is a measurable and actionable target to reduce citywide emissions and how you brought up equity, we do consider a science-based target as representing a city's fair share of the emissions that need to be reduced on a global scale to have emissions by 2030, and to reach global net zero by 2050. Uh, The three key components of science-based targets are that they cover citywide emissions and they are complete and robust, meaning that it takes into account uh, scope one and two emissions and multiple greenhouse gases, They're also science driven and they align with the latest climate science. And this is where you'll hear that it aligns with the Paris Agreement. Um, Another report that's frequently mentioned is the IPCC special report on global warming of 1.5 C. And that outlines the the need to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees to avoid catastrophic climate change. And then it builds in equity into a science-based target. Um, And this is where it represents that fair share of the 50% global emissions reduction that's needed by 2030. And this is based on the historic emissions, or the current like socioeconomic context of a city. And then a science based target is actually two parts. So it does have the net zero target year by 2050 or sooner. And then it has a midterm target that is to be reached by 2030 or sooner. It's important to set a science-based target because not only does it qualify you and meets the requirements of the city's race to zero through the United Nations um, campaigns, but it also helps you to define the level of action that's needed to meet your net zero by 2050 goal. Another benefit is that it can help you quantify progress and ensure that you're aligning with the ambition required by the Paris Agreement. And then lastly, setting that ambitious 1.5C aligned midterm target does make it easier for you to reach that long-term net zero target. The best resource that we have available right now for cities is the Science-Based Targets Network, a guide for cities. And it's very approachable. I'll, um, this deck includes a link to the slides, uh, or I'm sorry, to this resource, should you wanna peruse it. It's not too heavy of a lifting um, to read through it. And inside here, the partners that you see mentioned on the outside, including C40 Cities, GCOM, WRI, ICLEI, and WWF uh, worked together to vet different methodologies that cities could apply, and they put their resources, or not, I'm sorry, not resources, but they uh, aligned and agreed that these three methodologies lifted, listed here were um, great methodologies for any city to use, given uh, their particular needs, and so Those three include the WWF One Planet City Challenge, C40 Cities Deadline 2020, and Manchester University's Tyndall Center Methodology. The methodology that I'll jump into today is the WWF One Planet City Challenge, which you'll also hear me call um, OPCC because it is a mouthful. And uh, that methodology does use the IPCC special report on global warming, and it is based on the low overshoot scenario, which is the 1.5 C aligned pathway. Um, And this scenario, this methodology specifically calls out the midterm target by 2030 or sooner. And then it's important here to know that they use the phrase in line with a global reduction. And so that, again, is where we build in the fair share and um, equity component of a science-based target. And this methodology specifically uses the Human Development Index from the United Nations to uh, incorporate that. And the HDI, the Human Development Index, is uh, it's a national figure, and it's based upon a nation's um, education levels, life expectancy, and the um, per capita income for um, citizens of that nation. And that's how they build an equity there. And then lastly, it does have the long-term 2050 at the latest net zero target. And we recommend the OPCC methodology because of all the methodologies, it is the easiest for a city to calculate because you will use that countrywide HDI score you'll use your citywide scope one and two emissions from 2018 or as close to it as possible. You'll also need your city population data for 2018 and then your projected city population data for 2030. And um, I have two slides here. So I'm going to show first, this is the, the word description of how to calculate it. And then for the numbers people, I'll show it with some figures. And so What you're doing here is you're figuring out your 2018 per capita income, or I'm sorry, not per capita income, uh, 2018 per capita emissions, and then you're applying the emissions reduction target using the HDI figure and adjusted with the correction factor to figure out what a country's fair share emissions reduction is you apply that to your 2018 per capita emissions to calculate your 2030 per capita emissions. And then to turn that back into an absolute emissions figure, you are multiplying it by the 2030 projected population. And for the numbers, people, here is where you can see the figure using just some sample data that I plugged in. This does not relate to any particular city, but I just use the figures because they're um, easy to kind of use and follow along with, and what we find here is on, num- on step two is where you can see that the reduction target for the U.S. is equivalent to 62.8%. Um, to put it into context, in Canada using the HDI figure and applying it with this formula, in Canada the emissions reduction target is at 63%, so the U.S. and Canada are very comparable. If you don't have a 2018 emissions inventory available or say that you conduct an inventory, for instance, you were using your 2017 and projecting it forwards, and then now you have a twenty nineteen or twenty twenty inventory available, there are steps included in the guide to help you project that inventory forward or backwards. I also do have cities that for um, that they've decided you know our twenty nineteen emissions inventory is not expected to differ drastically from their 2018 inventories and so they will make the decision to go ahead and use their 2019 inventory data if it's available. Across the board from CDP disclosing cities we have found that a lot of the actions needed to hit your midterm emissions reduction target can be met by focusing on high impact areas, including transport, stationary energy and buildings. And again, um, the 62.8% emissions reduction target is based on the 2018 baseline per capita emissions. And that's something that you um, will also see when you are comparing possibly against another city. Like for instance, if you were looking at a bigger city like Los Angeles, who uses the C40 deadline 2020 methodology, you'll you'll see that cities always will mention their baseline per capita emissions here. And so um, with the WWF methodology across the board, they use the 2018 baseline per capita emissions figure. And um, that comes into account because, again, we're using the 2018 scope one and two data. Hmm. And when we zoom out and see uh, what that looks like for cities across the world and of those 1128 that i said disclosed through cdp 105 had fully aligned 1.5 c targets and that means that their science-based target they have the midterm target in place and they have that net zero by 2050 target in place um we had 106 cities about so about the same number that were partially aligned with 1.5 c Um, science-based targets, and um, anecdotally, I have not calculated this out, but by and large, the majority of that figure is cities that have a net zero by 2050 target, but they're trying to figure out how to set that um, midterm target by 2030 or sooner, and so that's where the support from CDP comes in, and then also, for instance, ICLEI and C40 are providing support to cities to help set that target as well. Um, And the support is really needed because you can see as well that 522 cities did not provide enough data for us to check their science-based target or their target was not aligned with a 1.5C pathway. And then 395 cities do not have a target set at all. And in this year, for this um, disclosure cycle, in it is now an A list criteria to have a science based target set. And so in the first year, cities are required to have either a long term net zero target. So that's that net zero by 2050 or sooner target, or the midterm target that is aligned with the fair share of limiting global warming. And I do want to highlight that beginning in 2023, an A list criteria will be required to have both the midterm target and the net zero by 2050 target. And um, to jump back to those high impact actions that I mentioned of transport, stationary energy and buildings, I um, pulled some real world examples from our disclosure, uh, the CDP ICLEI track questionnaire. And these came in just last year. Um, the District of Columbia was a very interesting test case here, um, or a case study, I should say, because they have seen that 75% of their citywide emissions come from building use. And they've really been able to hone that in and figure that out because they add such a small percentage of new stock every year. And so for them, they have focused on increasing building energy performance and strengthening their energy conservation code and their um, energy portfolio standards. And uh, one thing that they have done is that they um, specifically worked on their building energy performance standards. And under this standards, they group cities by type, or I'm sorry, buildings by type. And so they might take, for instance, um, multifamily housing and schools and offices, and then they compare those buildings against the local median energy efficiency, and they aim to have the buildings demonstrate that they meet or exceed that median standard, or they'll have to follow a performance or prescriptive path to reduce their energy use um, 28% over a 50 year five, oh, I'm sorry, 20% over a five year period. So um, they've set these pathways up for, for buildings to meet those. And um, they're really leading by example because they're starting with the largest private buildings and also their um, district owned buildings as well. In Philadelphia, which um, is close to me, they are taking a lot of actions um, on transport and that includes through Connect, Philadelphia's strategic transportation plan. And they separately have a Philadelphia transit plan as well. And uh, these plans really work to help mitigate the carbon pollution coming from the transportation sector, and they're trying to promote especially low and no carbon transportation options. Um, They also, through the Philadelphia Transit Plan, have really focused more on policy and improving bus corridors and increasing access to high-capacity transit, and the goal there is to move people efficiently to schools and their places of work. In Somerville, Massachusetts, which is a town of just over 81,000, they have chosen to work with their local electricity provider to provide community choice electricity um, through a program that began in 2020. And this year they increased the amount of renewable electricity available as the default option. And so they also have really worked to encourage participation in the 100% green electricity option. In another Massachusetts town in Beverly, I thought this was a really creative way to kind of do what you can, um, where you can, when you can. They they work with their gas utility, and so whenever the city is, for instance, making a gas pipe replacement, or uh, I'm sorry, whenever they're working on the roadways, they work with the utility to make the gas pipe replacements at that same time, so that they um, mitigate the disruption to um, residents, but also incentivize the gas utility to upgrade those pipes from cast iron to a safer, more reliable material. And they allow the utility to to have that access during construction without a fee. But should the utility choose to make those changes at a later time when there's not any roadway construction, they are um, subject to a fee with the city and so they are expecting that that will save them over 20,000 in metric tons of carbon dioxide emissions so nothing um nothing too small to to bulk out there so um that concludes my presentation and it is a lot of information in a very condensed time period normally these calls we have um we budget about 45 minutes so I am ready, willing, and able to answer any questions. And I can jump back to any particular section you'd like to focus on as well.
1: Well,
0: first of all, just thank you very much for your presentation. That was really good overview.
1: John, you want to doc- jump in?
2: JOHN FRASER, Alex, uh, nice presentation. Uh, wh- that that last series of all those towns, I, I was struck by the retrofits in Washington, D.C. and what the budget must be on that. And I'm wondering, there's no one answer. It's got to be a lot of budget sources for dollars. Uh, what's driving the dollar fundraising in Washington, D.C.? That's not an easy place to do business, I don't think.
6: No, and you know um, that's a really great question and I don't know off the top of my head what the answer is to that, however, I uh, do have a really great resource to suggest for you to use, and that is on on CDPs website, you can scroll down to the very bottom of the page and you can type in cities. And from there, you can see their disclosure and you can actually find the answer to that question, because when we ask about these actions they're taking, we do ask about the cost and we ask them to provide details about it. And I think that that's a really great place for you to check out. And it's another place like even beyond the cities that I mentioned, you could explore or type in cities that are in your area. There's also something called the CDP Open Data Portal, and that includes city and state data. And from there, it's um, it's it's more of an Excel type data sheet, but that same material is available through that avenue as well. Whereas if you scroll down to the very bottom of the page, it's a little bit more narrative in the sense that you can view it much like your own disclosure. And so depending on how you like to look at data, you can either see a data set or you can see one by one.
2: Thank you, because it's it's uh, not necessarily easy, but it's relatively easy if you put your mind to it to come up with these ideas. and to pay for
6: them is the thing. yeah absolutely and we do have some programs through cdp including we call them our matchmaker and accelerator programs and for instance like uh this year our catalyzed cohort which is an accelerator program is actually working on building efficiency and through that program they bring in cities and they also bring in investors and this year we even have a public authority joining and we prepare them to help seek financing and funding for their projects and what we do is we'll bring in a variety of speakers, we'll um, help provide them like real world examples like you saw and just really prepare them to take the next steps that they need to get the projects off the ground and financed.
3: This is Matt Krieger. I guess one of my questions was, well, maybe it's a two-part question. Um, one, what level? It sounds like that's part of the assistance, technical assistance, or opportunities, resources that you provide um, for the cities who are participating. But also, what is the? Um, I mean, I'm assuming there's fees associated with this, and um, I'm just trying to understand what is kind of what is the, what are the obligations from the city beyond kind of the reporting information that has to be collected. Uh,
6: sure. So. Um... When you're talking about what data from the cities has to be collected there's actually no fee for cities to disclose through cdp and if you'd like to participate in the matchmaker or uh, as i mentioned the catalyze cohort and we have some other opportunities including like city business climate alliance um activities those are all completely free to cities cdp we fund our work through um for instance like we we seek funding, and so we'll go to foundations or philanthropies so that we can provide that support to cities for free.
3: And what were some of the other examples of the um, either technical assistance or resources kind of beyond well, Sure. The, yeah.
6: So um, I'd say that the other... Um, other resources, right off the bat, the the best one that kind of runs behind the scenes and you are, it's very hands-off is that anytime you disclose through CDP and you include a science-based target or an emissions reduction target, we will automatically share that with our science-based target network partners. And so your science-based target will be validated right away when you disclose. Well, I should say, not right away, but it it triggers that process right away. So that gets validated. And then um, the science-based target support that we have has really just kicked off i'd say in the past um nine to 12 months and so the first phase of that support has been one-on-one technical calls with cities which i know that arminel, dr arminel level from our worldwide london office has had with iowa city and um, we're really encouraged by those first calls that we've had and providing this information it is a lot and so this next phase of support we're really looking at what we can do to help um, cities make that commitment And also maybe work through any challenges or barriers they're facing when setting science-based targets and then um the other side of it is the city's support so there is support available when you are disclosing through cdp if you haven't already I, i highly recommend that you sign up for response check and that's a free service where we will review your questionnaire with you and and Identify areas that you can maybe provide more detail or correct something or clarify an item to ensure that you have the um, score that's that most reflects accurately reflects what you're doing um, We have those uh, Matchmaker and accelerator programs that I mentioned and then I would say to something that's a little bit more Case-by-case um, case in the sense that it requires some dots to be connected, but We can um, we can help you, for instance, if you come to us and say, hey, these businesses are in our jurisdictions and we would like to get connected with them. And so what then our team can do is we can also reach out to the corporate side of our team. And if they have these one on one relationships, we can say, oh, you know, like these cities are interested in working together. um, With their with corporations and their boundaries, can you help and I'd say. I have not had an instance where a business has declined that opportunity. Some of that happens even through, like, our catalyzed cohort, for instance. But we do see it one-off as well. And I would say to to always reach out to any any CDP contact that you have if you if you do need another type of support or another resource. We're always willing to help out.
5: Uh, yeah, this is Gabe Sturdivant. I had kind of a two-part question. Do you get pushback? For- when dealing with any of these components somebody saying hey we're not going to provide that or anything
6: um when they provide like disclosure or do i get pushback about the science-based target
5: Uh, the disclosure
6: sure so from cities we don't typically get um we don't typically get a lot of pushback um i will say that there are Definitely some areas of our country, and this won't come as a shock, that are less receptive to hearing climate change. And so I'd say for those areas, there is an emphasis more on meeting the needs of the the residents. And so there is entire sections that have woven in through it adaptation and resilience actions. And so What I've seen is that those sustainability team members might approach some decision makers or their town council with how they're disclosing about those actions that members are taking versus leading with the phrase climate change, for instance. And that's um, very case by case basis. But again, that's something that um, we do have resources that we share. Like if somebody comes to us and says they have that specific barrier or obstacle, we do have some resource that resources that include like how to speak with others about climate change issues.
5: Thank you. And kind of to go on to that, what reporting do you find most lacking? Is there, you know, something that like, you know, 90% of cities don't
6: have or
5: anything like that?
6: Um, you know, um, in my specific area of work, What I have seen is that and this is why my role even exists is because, as I mentioned, for science based targets, it's very it's very easy to set that net zero by 2050 target because you know how to calculate that figure. It's zero by 2050. But figuring out that um, midterm target by 2030 or sooner, that is sometimes something where. There is a little bit of confusion they're trying to wade through what the methodologies are and so that's where these one on one call technical support calls really help, and I do want to say. um, That CDP works alongside our partners here, and so if a city is an ICLE member they're provided support on science based targets by ICLE. if they're a C40 member they're provided support through C40. And then CDP, we are able to support those cities that are not members of either of those organizations. But because we work so closely with those partners, the support is very comparable because we want to make sure that, the, that those cities are all understanding what it is and why it's important.
3: Thank you. I have like several questions, but I don't, oh, yeah. I, I want to allow others. <laughs> I'm taking notes
6: so I don't forget them as you'll <laughs> ask.
3: I, I was just wondering, um, Allison. maybe this, I don't know, this may be a question more for Sarah, but how familiar are you with our current goals and um, reporting and everything else that we currently do? And I guess the reason I'm asking that is I'm wondering how much more of a burden is it on personnel resources in order to help contribute or, or to, re- to submit this disclosure? Will it require a lot more effort on city staff above and beyond what you're already doing?
6: Sure. So I actually have a very great response for that for you about our questionnaire for 2022. We've actually overhauled the questionnaire more extensively than we have in several years past. And so what we've what we've done is we've actually reduced the number of questions by over 60 percent. And the reporting burden has really gone down. And so we expect that for a city that is previously disclosed or a city that really has uh, the data available to them, that it, the going through the whole procedure should take them between three to five hours because something that we did hear from a lot of cities was how do you balance the time that you're spending on disclosure versus the time you could be spending on acting on these adaptation and resilience actions and mitigation actions. So we really took that to heart. Um, we've also reduced dramatically the number of questions that are more like narrative based or open-ended. And so what you'll see is that 90% of the questions just require you to choose from a dropdown or to enter a specific data point, like a number.
1: Thank goodness we have Danny working on our grants now. Otherwise he'd be <laughs> out of a job. It's gotten so easy.
6: <laughs> oh, good. So I, I hope he has really been encouraged by how, um, how, just how we really really strive to reduce that reporting burden and again to speak to um to speak to our partnerships so for instance as a member of race to zero or cities race to resilience it's we're a one-stop reporting platform you disclose through cdp and then we push the information to our partners so there's no additional reporting burden
1: Alex, I actually had a question related to that. I was going to ask you how this relates to Cities Race to Zero, because, of course, that's another initiative that we've been approached about considering for Iowa City.
6: Sure. So um, CDP is a partner of the Cities Race to Zero, and it it is a program that is led by the United Nations, and it's led specifically by their um, climate champions. And what it asks is that cities have a net zero target by 2050. That's the initial pledge you make. And then um, one of the requirements to join is that you plan to set your midterm target by 2030 or sooner. And then along the way, you'll be provided um, resources and opportunities. Um, I'd say um, what I have seen is that some cities really do value the recognition that comes with it because it is a worldwide campaign so it it does come with um some prestige for those communities Um, and then the requirement to disclose is met by your cdp disclosure and um, you'll see too more frequently that especially going forward from this year on that they are recommending that cities disclose through cdp because you meet all your requirements through that. And additionally, um, the city's Race to Resilience is a sister campaign, and that is focused on adaptation actions. And I would say that if you are strongly considering the Race to Zero, I would also recommend that you um, consider Race to Resilience at the same time, because I bet that you are already taking action on a lot that could be considered a resilient action. So for instance, some of those include um, planting more native trees. to anything such as increasing data transparency, which a lot of cities did, especially due to the pandemics. And it can be based on actions that have already happened or are currently taking place.
2: So uh, a quick question. Uh, We've all been tiptoeing around avoiding saying global warming because we don't want to offend the deniers of global warming. And we thought climate change was going to be a comfortable term, but you've already indicated that you've got some audience out there that wants to deny climate change. So what's the next term we're going to use to uh, soften our conversations with uh, the deniers?
6: (laughs) So CDP, we definitely, we don't shy away from using the phrase climate crisis or um, climate change, but we do acknowledge that some communities might have that issue. And um, I will i will uh say i am a texan here so i i've only lived in pennsylvania for a year so i know exactly what that's like um some communities have um have had more success for instance with discussing uh the change in weather patterns that that tends to to open up a lot more doors um should you have to go there or for instance even like discussing like the changes that are happening to planting seasons i know that that has um has had some success for some communities, but by and large too, I think you'll find that the people that 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 are working on this and that are working towards establishing science-based target for their cities, they don't shy away from those phrases, but you might find that if you need to have a lot of community engagement or outside stakeholder support, um, that's where it really comes in. And again, we do have resources and tools to provide that, that can help you um, plan out maybe your community outreach to, to get that buy-in.
2: Thank you. You've got great insights. I really appreciate that. Oh, sure. <laughs> are there any cities
3: that in your that, uh, that are disclosing with you that um, not are just tracking to the target, but have actually already exceeded it? Like the 2030, the median target?
6: Sure. That's a really great question. Um, I know for instance, um, And i can't quite recall which cities but i have had cities that have met their initial targets and then they set more ambitious targets like that that does happen i think especially like i can't say that in my time at cdp that i've seen somebody meet their 2030 target because i i would say that that really has gained steam in the last two years but i will say that before we were Speaking to the 2030 target, cities had already worked towards setting their own midterm targets. And those that have been met, now they've set them to either um, be in line with those science based targets now using the latest and best climate science. So that's kind of what's happening more so. And there's another community, and they would not fault me for sharing this with you, but um, the town of Princeton, New Jersey is a really good example of a community that has actually set a net zero target. Or I'm sorry, they don't have a net zero target. But what they did before the latest climate science was telling us net zero by 2050, the previous measure was 80% emissions reduction by 2050. And so that is currently where their emissions reduction target sits. They haven't updated it because it is a process that has to go through their council and then the mayor approval. or the city manager approval and so but when you speak to them about the actions that they're taking again this is because of the people who are working in sustainability and like a testament to the people who are really on the front lines and addressing these um, risks from the climate crisis if you ask them directly would the actions they are taking be any different if they had a net zero by 2050 target their answer is no they just haven't had a had the time and the chance to update that target yet through the official channels.
4: Do we know how our current goals like align to what, our tar- what the target would be with this methodology?
1: Um, well we do have the 2018 data um, and as you may recall and maybe Matt's question gets to this a little we did exceed our initial 2030 goal which was aligned with the IPCC report a 45% reduction by 2030 we're at 49% reduction but that's compared to our 2010 levels um, if you go back and take a look at the greenhouse gas emissions inventories you'll see that even in 2018 we were quite a bit lower than 2010 so um this would be it would be an ambitious goal for us to adopt it and I will note just as Alex was saying you know it's not for us necessarily to adopt this goal we would have to go through a similar process that Princeton New Jersey is of making a recommendation to city council and then city council updating it um but it it would have we've we'd have our work cut out for us but we have our work cut out for us anyway so (laughs) I mean I guess yeah oh no I'm sorry go ahead well I guess
3: that's why I was wondering is what what is what's dictating the twenty eighteen baseline and are all three methodologies that you mentioned following that same baseline? I mean for instance, why are we doing twenty ten versus you know
6: Sure. Yeah, you'll find that um that more of the methodologies are using later um inventory years, so you'll see that more frequently they're using twenty eighteen or later Data to set the baseline and that's just because the science has become better. There's also proxy data available um, that is more easily calculable to um, more recent data figures. Um, I will say in comparison to some of the other methodologies, like, for instance, um, C40 cities, for example, that's another really great methodology that I encourage cities to consider, um, but to figure out what your exact science-based target is through their methodology, it does require you to be a C40 Cities member. And what I have seen is that a large majority of cities will fall between 54% to 66%, but there are some cities that could have emissions reduction targets as high as 72%. Their model is based on a city's GDP and and more so their ability to act. And so that's also the kind of range that you can expect there. The Tyndall uh, methodology does fall very similarly to the OPCC methodology. It was created though with more of a focus on the United Kingdom. And so those sectors that weigh more heavily are more applicable to um, the United Kingdom specifically. And so by and large, It is not a methodology that CDP recommends for cities outside of the United Kingdom.
1: Alex, this brings up a funny question for me. It just occurred to me that Iowa City is somewhat unique in that our emissions have been cut so drastically in the last 10 years. Other cities would have had higher emissions profiles in 2018 than 2010. Is it possible that because our emissions were lower in 2018 compared to 2010, that when we do a science-based target calculation, our goal might be less than 62%?
6: No, it won't fall below the 62.8% because the HDI figure is a national figure. And so what we see is that across the US or for instance, like Canada as well has 63%. So that figure is a national level. And then you're calculating your 2030 per capita emissions based on the 2018 per capita emissions and then projecting it forward to an absolute figure using your 2030 projected population. So the the absolute emissions would vary city by city, but the emissions reduction target of 62.8% would be the same.
1: Got it, thank you.
4: Can, can we lay out, like, all of the things that would be different if we adopted this target versus just staying the course? Like, for example, the, the target would change. We would do a disclosure through CDP. We would have access to your resources. Are there other things, like?
1: Actually, it's really just the target changes. We already disclosed right. through CDP. Oh, oh okay. Um, Becky actually had a great way, when we were putting the uh, meeting agenda together, she had a great way of conceptualizing the two presentations we've seen in the last two meetings, because of course, you're getting a taste of what (laughs) we get on a regular basis, you know, folks um, reaching out with different ideas. And we want to be very clear, like, we are all playing on the same team, and we all have the same ultimate goals, Um, and it's just figuring out what is the best path forward. Um, And that could be staying the course, or it could be tinkering with our goals. Um, What Becky conceptualized this as is if we did something like a science-based target, we're setting a different different emissions reduction goal for ourselves, Um, and then it's more focused on things that we can do internally in the city. When you think about the presentation we saw, you know, looking at buildings and transit and those kinds of things that really do traditionally fall within the wheelhouse of city interventions. Um, In contrast, and correct me if I get any of this wrong, Becky, because I feel like you captured it so well. Um, Something like 24/7 is an initiative um, that would involve us acting more as an advocate to the utility to do some utility scale interventions. And that's a little further outside of what cities traditionally do. We'd be a little more beholden to the utility to achieve those goals, but in reality, I think um, there, there's no way to achieve what we want to achieve without having some cooperation with the utility, right? Like that's just an ongoing conversation and has been right from the beginning. So did I, did I get that right, Becky? Yes. <laughs> and,
0: and just to note that obviously the utility on its own has added wind, um, adding some more solar, things like that. So that would be separate even from the, well, it's related to the 24-7 initiative but it's not dependent on it right so that's part of that is up to the utility to decide
2: I think your comment about all being on the same team is is really important I think it's also important to realize uh, this 2030 target's hard because you whatever program you're on you're not going to reduce it by the same 0.05% every month or every year. There are going to be spikes and and reductions. And it's it's hard to figure out when you're going to make the big jumps and when you're going to make the little jumps. And the hardest part is the little, little, little jumps as you get closer to 2050, those last increments are going to be the hardest because we got the low hanging fruit already. Mm -hmm. My, My point is we get to 2050, guess what? We're not done. This is an evolutionary process and we just have to decide What's, what's most efficient, what works the best, what politically can we pull off, uh, what financially can we pull off that works for the most number of people between now and 2050, because it's gonna change. No matter what we do right now, we need to do something. Okay. You can't just wait. But we shouldn't get hung up on, well, is this the right plan or the wrong plan? Well, if it's the wrong plan, we'll modify it as we go along.
6: Yeah, we've, at CDP, we, we very much agree with with what you've said. And and one reason why we do really value the city's race to zero, for instance, is because there is a mechanism for them to put, apply pressure to the countries that are a part member nations of the United Nations um, and to strengthen their NDCs, their nationally determined contributions. And so we definitely acknowledge that right now with the science and capabilities that are out there it will be very hard for cities to reach net zero by 2050 but we hope that by applying this pressure that the policies will follow so that it does make it easier for cities to reach net zero and it does really encourage and show the strength of i mean for instance like the cities and the companies and the youth groups faith organizations that are all rallying behind this race to zero
2: so is your group working with the United Nations group in any way, shape or form or communicating uh, hand in hand or just being aware of each other?
6: No, we, we do communicate with them regularly.
2: And the reason I ask, I'm the president of the Iowa United Nations Association and I got involved in that uh, about the time of Paris. and I went to the Paris meeting. So I was, I was really fired up about the United Nations. And then all of a sudden there are all these other programs and all these other concepts and formulas and, Et cetera, et cetera, and so I get a little confused myself because I'm trying to facilitate within a couple different organizations mm-hmm. uh, the right processes, the right steps, and making people play nicely with one another and it it'll be good to know that uh, you're working with or at least uh, compatible with what the u n is doing
6: we do we do work we do work really hand in hand with them and um And also, for instance, like previously, before I was at CDP, I was at WWF, and I know that they work hand in hand with the UN, and so I know that they worked very closely with them, for instance, on that OPCC methodology that is um, promoted by the Science-Based Target Network.
0: So I think we have time for one more question. Clarity has one, and then I apologize. We're gonna, we have a few short things we have to do before we wrap up our meeting by five, but let Clarity ask her question.
5: One of the questions I have is just where the public falls into the conversation around these commitments and wondering whether one is more recognizable than the other and would help rally the public more around uh, something that would then in turn help make a negotiation with a utility, for example, um, come around. So um, I think even watching the presentations and being plugged into the process there is that confusion of like wait what's the difference between these commitments which one you know how how does it happen and then whether this is just an internal thing for the city to be like here's what we've promised and we want to work towards this or whether the public comes into play how they understand it how you know what they do in this process
6: sure and that's a really great question and it's something that cdp really has in mind is increasing um like for instance the advocacy piece of this um but separate from that like what you can do now i think that is why the city's race to zero is so attractive to a lot of cities is because they have that whole marketing campaign built around that there's materials that you can share immediately that really break it down for a resident of what the city is doing, what actions they'll be taking in the future and what they've pledged to do now. Um, I will also say that in terms like how you mentioned of connecting with the utility, um, we we don't have this in place now, but it's something that we're definitely keeping in mind for the coming years is how we can we can have like a publicly or citizen requested disclosure instead of just the investor requested disclosure that goes out to, for instance, cities and corporations that an investor is wanting them to disclose. But how can we really help um, help residents and citizens encourage utilities to disclose through a public authorities questionnaire or for um, citizens to encourage their jurisdiction to disclose? So you're thinking ahead, <laughs> but um, we, we, um, again, wanna be available for those questions as they come up. So we can, after this, I'll definitely share some of those resources I mentioned that we do have about how you can communicate with external stakeholders.
0: Well, thank you. And I think Sarah will be able to guide us on how we will next take all of what we've learned here at our previous meetings and make next, (laughs) because this was more just informational and learning experience, I think, for many of us. And those are great questions everybody had. So um, really, we thank you so much for taking time um to meet with us and i'm sure if we have questions we'll be in touch um those of us at the commission either as a group or sarah or danny Um, i don't know sarah did you have anything
6: else you wanted to add on the topic or
1: we no just thank you so much for joining us alex we really appreciate it we know it was a short notice
6: oh no absolutely i'm happy to do it and i will speak to you soon thank you thanks
0: and uh Okay, well, thanks. Those are really great questions, um, especially for a Monday. <laughs> um, so we just have our wrap up here to recap a confirmation on next meeting time and location. So we're meeting Tuesday, July 5th, same time back at city hall, correct? Correct. Does everybody got that. So it'll be Tuesday, July 5th, right after the holiday um, back at city hall and actionable items for commission working groups and staff, Sarah?
1: Um, just as a reminder, again, if you have any additional questions to the one in the handout, please do send them to me. I'll add them to the list and we'll include the final list in next month's agenda packet. Um, Danny's gonna be reaching out to those of you who are involved with the insulation working group to set a time and date for your initial meeting. Um, if you would like and did not already receive a email containing the registration link to easy on the gas, please email me and I will send that to you as well. Um, and staff will correct the minutes. <laughs> right. no.
0: Sorry about and those errors. And don't forget the little chart, I guess, the attendance chart also.
1: Yeah. I forgot about that. To, to we'll get that, that corrected too. Too. Sorry. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing to think about on the questions, we did receive in the list of questions, a suggestion of others to bring in. Um, To get more information, specifically, we had a commission member request to hear from MidAmerican about this particular initiative. If there are others you would like to hear um, from, let us know and we can arrange for that in an upcoming meeting. Um, And Mm. um, and I should mention IEC has very graciously offered to come back um, if we have other questions for them as well.
2: Just just one comment. I really appreciate Clarity's question about public because we can get really hung up in this room uh, at a very high level and not get it transmitted out to where the rover meets the road and that's that's my challenge is having a consistent message that's meaningful for and, and we don't have one message for every single person we have to look at our audience and customize every presentation to every audience but I feel guilty I'm doing a crappy job of communicating to the public what we're doing and I need to do better with that, but I don't think I'm the only one. Any help we can get to uh, have a consistent message that's talking points, if you will, uh, I'm wide open for that.
0: So, and we can talk about that next time, the folks who are going to go to meet with groups, we can either check with Sarah about the group you're talking with. And I think Matt, you had a...
3: I was just gonna add that to the actionable items list, which was the reminder to reach out to those groups (laughs) and to the to the staff, because um, I think that was in there for so us. So the list of
0: those, the four or five of us, I guess Sarah, do you want us to individually contact you at this point or do you want Actually, to let us know if our group is ready to hear from us and give us the contact?
1: We'll, uh, we'll reach out to you to set up a meeting. Um, as discussed okay. in the previous meeting, you know, you'll meet with us. We'll talk about what's been done already, who the primary contact is and we'll roll from there. Okay. And if I, all right,
0: just a follow up more. I've just assigned myself more with my County head. Uh, Michael, you were asking about the historic power farm and transportation there. Depending on where folks are located and their needs, I can talk to you kind of offline about some some potential ideas. Um, so I think that's everything. We sure got a lot done in an hour and a half. So um, is there a motion to adjourn?
4: So moved, I <laughs> Lynch. Is there a second?
0: Second. Second by, uh, so moved by uh, Michael and second by Gabe. Uh, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, I'm assuming. And online, our folks are. Thank you, Casey. Thank you, Jesse. So, meeting is adjourned. Thank you, everybody.